Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at Commonwealth Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woohoo! Yeah. Okay, so we are continuing onward uh, with our with our tour of the shelves in our apothecary here at home. Uh, we're moving on today to hibiscus and hypericum, uh, which you probably know as hibiscus, <laughs> and St. John's wort. It's really funny to me because we're really just taking the herbs off the shelf in alphabetical order by Latin name, and we label our herb jars by Latin name just because it helps to see the Latin pretty regularly. But... Um, but it's funny to me that we're just taking the jars off the shelves, and yet so often they have something to tie them together. And so today's theme is two herbs I love to make sun tea with. Mm, that yes. These are two of my favorite sun tea herbs. Yeah, sun tea. Very easy to make. Very satisfying on a hot day. Mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, we're going to talk about these herbs, but first, let's give you our reclaimer. That's where we remind you that we are not doctors, we are herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States, so these discussions are for educational purposes only. We want to remind you that good health doesn't mean the same thing for everyone. Good health doesn't exist as an objective standard. It's influenced by your individual needs, experiences, and goals. So keep in mind that we're not attempting to present a single dogmatic right way that you should adhere to. Everybody's body is different, so the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but we hope that they'll give you some good ideas and some new information to think about and research further. Finding your way to better health is both your right and your own personal responsibility. This doesn't mean you're alone on the journey, and it doesn't mean that you're to blame for your current state of health. But it does mean that the final decision when you're considering any course of action whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by a physician, is always your choice to make. Well, let's talk about hibiscus. It is the reddest herb I know. You know, yeah, <laughs> I, I really like to uh, make red tea, you know, and uh, so for for me that's pretty much hibiscus, rose hips, uh, elderberries sometimes, goji berries goes into red tea. Yeah, elderberries not really red, but honorary red. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, purple, you know. Uh, and then uh, if we have rooibos, that's another red oh, one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and the thing I like about doing red tea this way is that some of these herbs are, are sharing or like they have the same kind of constituents that give it that color. We talk a lot about anthocyanins as being antioxidant and having benefits for immune function and vascular integrity and like a whole pile of other great things. <laughs> some mm -hmm. of them are even directly antiviral, like the ones that come out of out of elderberry. Um, hibiscus has a bunch of these, but you know, when we get in the rooibos, when we get in the goji berry, um, we're bringing in like a variety of different pigments and pigments are super healthy for, well, pretty much everybody. I was going to say humans, but like mammals. <laughs> and then I was like, well, probably for birds too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Actually the whole concept of pigments, um, really just makes my head explode in a really kind of pleasing way. Like not, a, not a, like bad way a, a mm, happy way mm -hmm. and and i don't know maybe it's just me and you're gonna be like katya that's not as cool as you think it is but listen i think this is so cool that th there's so many things that we can't see right like we can't see inside our bodies we can't see like what is my blood glucose level today what i mean we can if we test it but there's lots of things we can see if we test but there's there's a lot of things we can't see with the naked eye and 
the thing is that there's also a lot of things that we can and we kind of like <laughs> don't always realize that because we are a culture of laboratory testing. And so I find it so fascinating that it turns out that the color itself, the molecules that create the redness, that is the health in it, right? <laughs> that is the thing you actually want. It isn't like, oh, and also it's red. It's like, no, that redness is part of the antioxidant, part of the anti-inflammatory action. And so you can literally see like, hmm, is this hibiscus tea really going to help reduce my inflammation level? Well, I don't know. Is it red? If it's red, yes, because the redness does the job. There are other things that are doing the job too, but but that red pigment, the molecule that is the redness is doing some of that work. And I just can't, I never stop being completely fascinated by that. Mm. And then I think about Kool-Aid and I think <laughs> about how, but, but like, but, but really like we want things that are colored bright red. Mm. They're appealing. A beverage that is colored bright red is appealing and we don't think about that much. We're just like, ah, oh, kids like Kool-Aid. And we don't think, well, like, why is that so appealing to a human? Because also grown-ups like things that are colored red too, right? And it's like, wow, is this some kind of genetic imprint whatever throughout all of history where we understood that those colors were part of the vital health of the, of the thing? Okay, <laughs> I'm just going to, like, see. And this is where my brain just explodes a little bit in a rainbow of happiness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we like to infuse those red pigmented herbs not only into water, but also into wine. Uh, and one of the fun things that we like to, because it'll go with any, any kind of wine, but one of the ways we like to do this is take a white wine and then put in the hibiscus and the rose hips and the goji and the elder and the rivus and everything else that has red pigments in it and turn your white wine red. It's really fun. Uh, it is also really tasty. I'm not a huge fan of white wines, but when you do this to a white wine, it, it literally it becomes like a Starburst candy, except it's not candy and there's no sugar in it. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe wine has a little sugar. There's sugar in wine for sure. Yeah. You know, if you find a sweet wine, you do that. And then and then what you're really getting is, you know, uh, the sourness, because all of these herbs, maybe not so much the rooibos, but these others, they have a sour quality to them. And especially let's talk about hibiscus, star of the day, right? Uh, super sour plants. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the one of the ones when if you're like going to do an herb class and you're going to do like let's taste the fundamental flavors, you know, <laughs> let's get a bitter herb. Okay, that's going to be centauri. Let's get a yeah. like truly pungent herb. Let's get uh, I don't know horseradish would be a good example. Mm -hmm. Let's get a very sour herb. It's yeah hibiscus. Yep. <laughs> it's like the cayenne of the sour. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So sour, you know, just in the way that the color uh, tells us some things about, about our plant. Uh, we talk about the red and the pigments and the antioxidant and the other benefits there. The taste tells us a lot, too. <clears throat> so as a sour plant, uh, we know that this herb is going to be um, cooling and also draining, draining to excess fluid in the system. Uh, this is, again, a, a common feature of many sour plants, including citruses, for, for that matter. Um, but with hibiscus, you particularly get that effect of draining stuck fluid, edema, um, uh, places where the, the water in the body has been stagnant, mm. and you want to drain that out. 
there's a connection between that activity, which is in some ways is a, a diuretic effect, you know, from the herb. Um, there's a connection there to the benefits this plant has for diabetes. Uh, and we can actually look at that from a number of different directions. But this first one here is that in, in diabetes or states when the blood sugar is elevated, it's uncontrolled, then the body retains more water. And so you swell up and there's bloating, there's edema, there's discomfort. Uh, and so, you know, this, this effect of, uh, of blood sugar problems is identified not only in like modern medicine, but historically people would talk about sweet urine and they would identify that as a, as a dampness condition. They would mm -hmm. say like, okay, you literally do have more sugar in your urine. Some, sometimes that would be, you know, determined by taste. Uh, other methods are like, you know, you take the urine and you put it in the dirt and see if the ants come to eat it. <laughs> right. uh, if so, it's an indicator there's a lot of sugar in there. And that would be connected observationally to uh, these bodies that are retaining extra fluid, that are swollen, that are way too much on the damp side of the spectrum. And so the response in many, you know, traditional medicine systems to this, this state is to look for sour herbs like schizandra mm -hmm. or like uh, sumac berry uh, or like hibiscus. Like hibiscus. Uh, you know, I think the funny thing is that it, um, it hibiscus is the plant you want when it's hot and humid outside. Mm -hmm. It just feels good in your body. And also, it's the herb you want when it's hot and humid inside yeah. your body. Right. And then I want to make a little codicil to that because a lot of times when we think about um, diabetes-like expressions, right? You don't have to actually have a diabetes diagnosis to have the sorts of physical expressions that diabetes has, like right, like some edema, some maybe cardiovascular compromise. Maybe it's not all the way to some sort of cardiovascular disease, but like you know that your circulation isn't maybe all it could be. Maybe there's some varicosities or whatever. We would we would think about those things typically as cold presentations through the stagnancy, but then we also like if we're if we're thinking constitutionally or like energetically, we would say like oh well that person is cold and damp like everything is slowed down and sluggish and they're carrying a lot of extra fluids, and then so we wouldn't want to give them hibiscus because hibiscus is cooling. Well, yes it is, but we also have to think about in that person in that body we're talking about, there's a lot of excess inflammation. Like there's a lot of specific, a lot of excess that's like redundant, but it isn't actually. What I really mean is inflammation that isn't serving a purpose uh, or inflammation that shouldn't be necessary. It's necessary because there is so much stagnation. Um, and so it's not like the inflammation isn't responding to anything. I don't want to say that. It's just that it's not responding to like the sorts of things that the body normally expects for inflammation, like, oh, a sprained ankle. Mm. And so even though the person has a cold presentation in terms of sluggishness, the heat that we're talking about addressing with the hibiscus is that inflammatory heat where the inflammation needs to be modulated. And the cool thing is that a lot of that inflammatory heat is in the cardiovascular system. And that's a place where hibiscus does a lot of work, especially in the vasculature. Right, right. And that's the thing too, like, because this, this also connects to the, the diabetes issue that, uh, you know, not all of the health problems that we get with, with disorganized blood sugar regulation uh, 
come strictly from from that or from effects on like your pancreas, right? So when there's insulin resistance, when there's diabetes, when there's uncontrolled blood sugar, uh, one of the key ways that that hurts people's health is by increasing the amount of inflammation affecting the blood vessels and, and the heart and the whole cardiovascular system. So um, like you say, hibiscus is really helpful here. Again, those red pigments, those antioxidant elements from the plant, um, and also to some extent the, the plant acids that give the sour flavor. So both the, the color generating and the taste generating chemistry mm, in this plant mm-hmm. uh, are helping uh, to reduce oxidative stress, to counteract free radicals, you know, run, <laughs> running around in the bloodstream and causing those inflammatory reactions, causing, you know, damage and, uh, you know, cholesterol patches and everything to, to accumulate. Um, so this herb works very well to, to address that aspect of things. And then on that cholesterol note in particular, um, hibiscus is a plant that is particularly helpful at, I don't want to say reducing cholesterol, I want to say improving your uh, your blood lipids, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's... So, yeah, and the distinction is that um, uh, we're not only interested in reducing the amount of cholesterol uh, in the bloodstream. We want it to be there if it's needful, and we want it to not be there if it's pointless. So, just reducing cholesterol numbers on the on the lab result isn't isn't a goal in and of itself. That's not like something that we get points for doing. Um, <laughs> What we want to do is reduce the body's need to produce that cholesterol as a response to the inflammatory damage that occurs inside of the blood vessels. So our antioxidant herbs can help us in that effort. Um, Avoiding things that cause that damage can help us a lot. So that's like avoiding the industrial seed oils and switching over to better fats. Um, There's a number of different ways that we can accomplish that goal. Hibiscus is going to help us out. Again, largely through that that uh, anti-inflammatory effect, reducing the initial damage, but then also it helps to protect the cholesterol itself, or mm-hmm. actually the lipoproteins. So you've heard people talk about HDL and LDL cholesterol. Really, what the the HDL and the LDL are are like transporters. They help to move cholesterol from one place to another in the body, and <clears throat> they themselves are molecules like any other. And like most molecules, they can be oxidized. And like pretty much everything in our body, we try to not let that happen too much. Uh, because that's how you rust to death over time. Right. <laughs> um, so so um, by protecting the LDL and the HDL from becoming oxidized, that's another like layer to the way that hibiscus is helping. And ultimately what you see is... a. Uh, is a, a reduction in LDL levels. You see maybe even an improvement in HDL levels sometimes when people work with this herb. But I think much more importantly would be subfractions, where we're looking at how much of our HDL is oxidized versus not. How much of our LDL especially is oxidized versus not is a major determinant for whether this is actually going to cause damage or cause a, a lesion that's, that's persistent or, or you know, seriously a problem for your health. Yeah, and remembering that cholesterol serves a purpose in your body. You you need it to function properly, but you also need it to function properly. Like if if your cholesterol cells are damaged, if they're oxidized, then they can't do their job properly. Um so so even though it sounds weird to say like, "Oh, we also want to protect the health of our individual cholesterol cells," We we do. We want them to be able to function as needed, efficiently, and then go away. 
because we don't need them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing about hibiscus that I wanted to bring up today was that when we're talking here about hibiscus sabdarifa, uh, which is called hibiscus, also folks call this plant roselle and sometimes sorrel. <laughs> yeah, which uh, is com- com- complicated because there are several plants called sorrel and they're all very different. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with this particular species of hibiscus, the hibiscus sabdarifa, this is the one that gives us the redness and the sourness that we've been talking about here. It's a part of the plant, it's a part of the flower structure called the calyx. And uh, so it's not exactly the petals of the flower, it's not the leaves of the plant, it's specifically this part called the calyx. And if you look up pictures of this particular hibiscus species, you can see this, this structure. And when it's growing on the plant while it's alive, it's very fleshy and it looks kind of, um, like fruity almost. Yeah. Like, like a, yeah. 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 Uh, and so, you know, that's the part that's harvested and dried and you get your little, you know, red, purple, uh, you know, shriveled up <laughs> uh, bits of, of hibiscus and, and you make your tea with and all of that. Uh, and okay. So that's the part that we've been talking about here where we've been talking about it being sour and with the red pigmentation and having those draining effects on stagnant fluid in the body. Um, and so that is uh, going to have a drying quality to it, but it's a moderate or mild drying herb. You know, this isn't one where you're like, ah, if you just drink hibiscus tea, you're actually going to dry your body out, even though it can help to stir up excess fluid and help to eliminate that. I don't find this to be an herb that is going to take somebody who's like neutral or someone who's damp, you know, and then shift them over into a dry constitutional pattern. Well, and that's the that's the thing about hibiscus is that it's actually in the mallow family. It's actually in a family of moistening plants. And if you work with the leaf, you really can feel that you really it feels like a marshmallow leaf. It's mm-hmm. like. Um, sort of thick and soft and and has that same kind of um, plumpness Mm -hmm. that and honestly actually every part of hibiscus has a plumpness to it the calyx when it is in its like when it's uh, when the flower is vibrant and you're you're just seeing the calyx under the flower Um, you know not that not once it's dried obviously then it's dried but when it's alive it's plump Hmm. the flower itself has it like the petals have a plumpness to them yeah and they're so soft yeah you know and uh anyway so i i like i i most of the time when we're talking about drying herbs we're talking about astringency Hmm. and hibiscus doesn't feel astringent it it is draining it's it stimulates the movement of fluids. Yeah. There's a there's a little astringent feeling from the plant acids, you know, but that feels so much different from your astringency you get out of tannins. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. And a way that you can feel this yourself is, um, you know, make a cup of black tea and let it steep a little too long even because then you're really getting the tannins in there. And then make a cup of hibiscus Um and if you really want to get um, like the full range of action, then make a cup of hibiscus, but start off with hot water and then let it get cold and let it sit there cold for a few hours so that you get like a that initial heat, but then you also get the effects of the cold infusion. Mm. Um, and then taste both of them and you'll see that it is not the same astringency that comes from tannins. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. But you know, that also lets us know that we can work with these other parts of the plant for for these more specific hydrating, moistening, you know, demulcent herb purposes. Mm. So um, uh, if we had hibiscus sabdorifa, but we had the leaves or we had the flower petals, we would have a moistening herb on our hands there. And, uh, you know, if you live further south than where we are, uh, mm-hmm. that might be a plant that you can that you can grow uh, easily and, and have it replenished and live outside and everything. Um, you know, we've we've grown some hibiscus species in pots and things in the house uh, and move them outside in the summertime and, right, and right, stuff right. like that. Right. Um, and then there's a couple of hibiscus uh, relatives that grow up here and they, they can, you know, uh, live and regenerate. Like there's a Rose of Sharon plant out in the yard. Um, I believe that's hibiscus rosa, rosa sinensis. Um, I, I'm going to so. say that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, but you know that one. Uh, that's 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 another where you know you you look at it and you you grab the leaf and you chew on a little bit of the leaf or you bite a flower petal off and see what it is and you're like, yep, this is giving me that velvety demulcent you know mucilage feeling here. Yeah, there's really no question that it's related to marshmallow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and Rose of Sharon is actually, I think that maybe you know, in the sixties and seventies, maybe there, it must've been very trendy because so many houses in Boston, um, have Rose of Sharon in the yard. And, um, you know, when you get into like Brighton and Somerville and the places where you have those like standard three family houses, um, and then the little yards, so many of them have a Rose of Sharon in the middle of the little tiny front yard. Um, and so yeah. I think it, it just was very trendy because now they're all like taller than me. You know, they're they're large, shrubby tree kind of thing, yeah. that, you know. But they're, they're nice. You know, you have these big, big, obvious, beautiful flowers and they're kind of attention getting. Yeah, and, they're yeah. fun. Yeah. Anyway, so even if you do live in a city, this may be a plant that you actually have access to live now you can't get the hibiscus calyx off of a rose of sharon they don't Mm -hmm. have the Mm -hmm. same calyx Um, but the leaves you can absolutely work with and they're a fantastic uh marshmallows not analog yeah i I don't want to say substitute because it's like yeah i mean they're the same family right relative yeah relative yeah yeah and you can always feel free to do a uh, a family reunion uh, blend. Sometimes we do that. If you're if you're you know experimenting with different herbal formulation uh, patterns, that's one that we like to do every now and again. So, you know, a mallow family reunion could include some uh, marshmallow. We can get some hibiscus, you know, species and varieties into there. Linden. Um, if you want to go wild, you can throw some cacao in because believe it or not, cacao is in the mallow family. <laughs> <laughs> that would taste good, actually. Yeah. 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 Nice. All right, well, let's talk about St. John's Wort. Yeah, this is a good time of year to be doing it. Uh, you know, we also sometimes call St. John's Wort solstice wort, and, you know, we're a couple couple few weeks away from the summer solstice, mm. so you can, uh, if, you, if you are going to get inspired about St. John's Wort today, you can get your hands on some or see if you can find some out there near where you are. Um, the connection to solstice is that uh, the Serb is at its best on the longest, hottest days of the year. And uh, that's just about the best time to harvest it for medicinal potency. That is where the name St. John, St. John's Wort comes from, actually, because the in the Catholic Church, the Feast of St. John is on, I think, June 25th. Um, and solstice is the 2021st. 
Um, and so, you know, they're talking about, they're naming the plant after the time of year when you would go out and harvest it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that actually, this is not the only plant that has that kind of a feature in its name. Um, but it is, I think, it may be for me the one where it matters most. And it doesn't have to be on the actual day of solstice. It just has to be on a hot, high summer day, which is good because St. John's wort does continue to bloom. You know, sometimes you even find it blooming in August. Yeah. Still. Um, and, and the key is that it really needs to be harvested on a high sun, really hot kind of day. And the reason is that um, plants are responsive to weather, just like people are responsive to weather. You know, if it's kind of if it's really humid out there and, and really steamy, maybe you're wilting a little bit. And, you know, if it just rained, maybe you're you're really kind of filled up with water and all plump and standing up straight. Um, you know, if you're a plant and um, the plants production of certain phytochemicals also responds to weather. So this is, this is maybe easiest to observe in aromatic plants like mugwort or catnip where um, they have more aromaticity. I'm not still not sure if that's really a word. It is a word. Okay, it's good. definitely a word. Good. Okay. 100%. They have more smelliness on a really hot day, especially if it's been a whole week of hot days. Because they're producing more volatile oils, like in response to that kind of a weather pattern. Whereas if it's been raining for two weeks straight, that is, and then like you have your first day that is starting to dry out and maybe is a little bit sunny, that is not the day to harvest because the the, um, ratio of volatile oils is going to be low. So that's one that you can see right off. And in St. John's work, you don't necessarily see it immediately, but you really see it when you try to infuse the flowers in oil. And the it's the, it's the red pigments here that we're trying to um, prioritize. We're trying to we want to capture maximize. Them. Yeah, we want to make sure they're in there. Yeah. Yeah, and and so those are phytochemicals that are solarly responsive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So they're they're kind of held in these oil glands in the leaves of the of the plant, and also in the flowers. If you take a a leaf of Saint John's Wort and hold it up to the light, you see where the perforatum uh, part of the name comes from, because it's like it's been pricked with a with a pin a hundred times, and the pricks on the leaf around the edges are darker, whereas the other ones are are light or they let the light through. Um, and those are these little oil glands where. The plant's making some of its more famous chemistry, like the hypericin and the hyperforin, um, which for a while were thought like the active constituent of St. John's wort. <laughs> and, you know, back in the day when people were um, identifying that chemistry and connecting that to antidepressant effects of the herb, um, there was a trend to either like really heavily amplify that in your supplement or just give a supplement made straight out hypericin. Uh, it's not a great idea, honestly, because first off, it doesn't actually work as well as a full-spectrum plant extract. Oh, that's always uh, true. Because of because of synergy amongst different constituents in the herb, and that's not just me saying that. Like this is now, um, you know, something that has been studied, and you can identify various little phenols and elements in the in the Saint John's wort that enhance the activity of hypericin, or 
just as important, reduce some adverse effects. Uh, so in this case, um, we've noticed that uh, cases of photosensitivity uh, associated with St. John's wort, all the ones that I've ever seen have been connected to a capsule or an extract or something that um, concentrated the hypericin above naturally occurring amounts. Um, and especially in cases where people were just taking straight out hypericin, that's way, way more likely to give you photosensitivity than drinking tea or taking tincture um, or working with powder of St. John's wort um, or of a supplement or a capsule, but one that is trying to do a full spectrum extract that represents the balance of chemistry in the, in the natural plant. Listen, nobody can go it alone. Rambo is a myth. It's like you can't survive that way. Cats really are social creatures. There's like nothing, nothing in the world is really actually alone. We need community. Even phytochemicals need community, right? You can't just take one phytochemical and say, that's the only one that matters. And then like make it bigger than life and then think it's going to do the job. No, you need the entire community of that plant uh, because all the parts of the plant are important. Yeah. Yeah. Except for some plants that have some parts that are kind of toxic, then my analogy is going to break down plant a little parts, bit, but well, that's yeah, okay. Right, right now we're talking about St. John's wort and my analogy works great. It does work great. Yeah. So, you know, plant part, we're working with leaves and flowers on this. Um, we, you can work with it dried. You can work with it fresh. Uh, we always prefer to do our oil infusions and tinctures from fresh plant if we possibly can. I have had a couple of students uh, send us pictures of oil that they made from, uh, that they infused from dried St. John's wort, and it came out red and it came out gorgeous and it worked great. And I was surprised because yeah. times when I've tried to make uh, St. John's wort infused oil from dried plant matter, it did not look red and gorgeous. Yeah, was... I, I, I would... I would even say it's impossible, and then it and, turns out then, somebody yeah. managed. So maybe that was an issue with the, the quality of the source material, like if they just had some really, really good stuff that was, you know, hand harvested and dried and all of that. Um, I don't know. But uh, that surprised me, for sure. Yeah. And it, I'm still going to prefer to grow or find some St. John's wort, harvest it fresh, and do an oil infusion for that uh, whenever possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, I wanted to talk today also about antidepressant activity of this herb. Uh, and our particular way of bringing this up is always to be like, well, okay, but here's all the exceptions and here's all the reasons why that's, that's not, it's not that simple. St. John's wort does a lot more than that. Let's talk about effects on hepatic function and digestion and wound healing and anti-inflammatory activity in the digestive system. And, you know, so then we'll spend like 90% of our time talking about that. <laughs> and uh, today I wanted to say, you know what, St. John's Word is actually pretty great for a lot of types of depression, a lot of manifestations of depression, and it is worth a try. <laughs> so there. Listen, it can be really helpful. And, and these are not uh, contradictory statements, right? Because yeah. depression is also a a community of symptoms, right? It is not one thing all by itself. We get into so much trouble when we try to silo things and we look at a person and say, hmm, your emotions are down. You must be depressed. And we don't look at any other part of their body, right? Because a person who has low emotions 
that's not the only thing going on for them. There's there's usually other things going on for them too. And even just the word depression, in modern context, it means somebody's sad, you know, like or blue me- or Melancholy, down. malaise, you know, sort of associated with fatigue on both a physical and a, a, a spiritual level, um, mm-hmm. right? These are the these are the things that we imagine when we when we just say depression without like modifiers. <laughs> but here's the thing: is that depression just means like downward, like a lowering. You you can use it as a geological term that there's mm. a a depression over there and it's really like a crater or something, mm. you know. And your body doesn't have downward motion. Like your body doesn't have sinkingness in only one place and every other place is still a mountain peak, right? Mm -hmm. When there is a depression, there is a slowdown and that has effects throughout the whole body. And so that's part of why when we think about St. John's Wort and depression, we, Rin and I, are always inclined to be like, but the liver, but digestion, but the other thing. Mm -hmm. And also it is why... You can say, yeah, St. John's Wort really can be very helpful for depression. Like, because all these things are... They're happening simultaneously. They're all happening simultaneously. So it's all true at the same time. Right. I think what we object to the most is when someone's like, St. John's Wort is good for depression because it acts like an herbal SSRI. Uh, SSRI, right? Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. That's the still the most common category of antidepressant pharmaceutical drugs things like Prozac, right? Okay. So, you know, it's a sort of like back formation where people have some idea or some, some sort of like, you know, superficial understanding of how the medication works. And so then they learn about a nerve and they're like, oh, it works the same way. Great. End of my, end of my story. Mm. Right. Um, and so it's is partially uh, shaped by the way that laboratory science is done on plants. Because look, if you do take an isolated hyperacin extract and you expose it to some, uh, you know, uh, some some tissue in a petri dish that uh, can secrete serotonin or respond to it, then you can see some of the same kind of responses as to, you know, those SSRI drugs. Uh, but the question is, like, does the herb itself function that same way in my body, right? Uh, and we can analyze that in a bunch of different ways, <clears throat> like saying, how much of this particular constituent am I ingesting with my tea or my tincture or my capsule? how much of that is going to circulate through my body and get to my brain? And how does that compare to the way that the drug moves around the body? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how much of how much of its chemistry it delivers to one place or another? So, you know, shortcut to the end, they're not the same in that regard. <laughs> uh, and, and in fact, uh, the majority of the activity of St. John's work on serotonin levels is happening in your digestive system. Where you have a lot of serotonin activity going on, actually. Yeah. We think of it as a brain chemistry, but uh, it's a body chemistry, and there's a whole lot of it in your guts. Yeah. Well, uh, no, okay. Or we could say, sure, it's a brain chemistry, but you have more than... You have that gut brain, You right? have that gut brain, mm-hmm. and you have the heart brain, and it's not just about the brain in your head. We, yeah. We have brains. Right. Yeah, the, the effect of St. John's wort... Uh, on mood is not only happening in the brain, it's not only happening in the spinal column, right? It's happening in your entire body because your mood is not only happening in your brain. It's Mm -hmm. not only a a question of 
you know, what's going on in your suprachiasmatic nucleus today, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, but it's, it's, it's what's happening all over you. So, yeah, so the more systemic effects of St. John's wort are part of how we understand its activity on depression as a systemic phenomenon. Um, so all that said, uh, when, we, when we try to give nuance on this, it, it helps to say, like, what are some patterns that would come along with the thing that we're calling depression that would make it more likely to respond to St. John's work as opposed to some, some other approach? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so first off, I would say that um, the kind of depression that St. John's work is going to help out with the most is going to be more in that cold, dark, <laughs> you know, stagnant uh, direction. Sometimes people have uh, an experience that is labeled depression or would kind of meet the, you know, diagnostic criteria for it, but their day-to-day experience is more agitated and jittery and unsettled. And St. John's work can still be helpful there. Sometimes people do find it has like a calming and anxiolytic sort of an effect. Um, but I think the, the, like, again, like mud, <laughs> dark, you know, yeah. uh, slime feeling, you know, situation um, is really one that, that indicates St. John's Wort to me a bit more. And I do think of it in terms of the sun, right? We want to shine some light on there. We want to, you know, get the sun powered up a bit so it can break through some clouds and you can realize it was there the whole time, you know? Yeah. I think that two kind of specific indications that I like to think about in terms of St. John's Wort. One is um, when depression has a significant self-loathing aspect. Because um, that is, that's some pretty intense darkness right there. And it's so dark that it clouds your ability to see reality. Like, mm. if you're just hating on yourself, you you can't even see yourself. You can't see yourself. And you certainly can't see the things that other people are like, what do you mean? You're great. I love you. You know, um, you, you just, you have, you, you can't see those things. And, you know, St. John's Ward is such a um, beacon of light and uh, really like just clears uh, stuff away. So that is one of the times that I think a lot about St. John's Ward. And the other time is like, um, emotional constipation, which is, I guess, a goofy kind of term, but when, when, and, and this, I think this ties in also to the like depression with a little jitteriness, like constipation is really uncomfortable and it does give you some anxiousness after a while. You're like, you start to just sort of think all the time of like, I just want to poop, please. I cannot believe I'm saying this. Um, we're, we're all herbalists here, right? <laughs> and, um, and so emotionally, when everything is stopped up and you, you're, you can't, you can't even focus on anything except the problem, the, the thing that is upsetting, um, and you can't get it to move. It's very stuck there. It's intractable. <laughs> it's just gumming up the whole works, um, that kind of depression, I feel like St. John's Wort is really super, super helpful for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also, I think, important to set expectations around timing uh, for 
for relief, <laughs> right? Mm. Especially with something like this. Um, and again, because of the way that uh, expectations or, you know, hopes <laughs> that people might have uh, can be shaped by our, by our, again, not even like the literal reality of what drugs do, but the way that we understand them and, and conceive them. Like how often... those two things are not the same. Yeah. The way that we expect drugs to work is not actually the literal reality of the way that drugs actually work. Right. So, I mean, you know, an example that comes to mind for me here is uh, a very common scene in a movie where you have a person and you see them starting to get upset and agitated. And then they scramble in their bag for a bottle of pills. They open it up. They take one out. They swallow it dry. It, they breathe out. <sighs> <laughs> like it it worked immediately right and there's actually two important things going on here so one is uh the placebo effect <laughs> right <laughs> which is like they've taken this before uh they know that it's going to make them to feel better and so their body's like oh we're taking that awesome i can start feeling better right now why wait <laughs> right <laughs> i mean and that's good yeah 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 that's true for anything you take so that's true for saint john's word as well and i would i would comment here that that makes it that's one of the factors, not the only factor, but one of the factors where the more you work with something that works for you, the better it works, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. uh, you develop that kind of reflex. And with herbs, this is actually um, in some ways even, even more uh, able to occur than with medications because you taste them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially the way we like to take our herbs, including St. John's wort, is we want you to really taste it. So I, I do prefer to work with tincture or tea of this over a capsule. Um, whenever possible because you'll taste them you know this is very like if you are a, a caffeine person and if your relationship to coffee is sort of like garfield mm. you know um the cartoon cat uh then it's very much like coffee you have that first sip of coffee the caffeine has not hit you yet but you're feeling better already, mm. you know? Like, you know the caffeine. It, like, it's, you only just swallowed the first sip. And so you know that it can't have really started yet. And yet, mm -hmm. you're already like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm all right now. Yeah, yeah. So that's part of it. You know, and then the other part is, like, your actual absorption and circulation and binding, <laughs> you know, mm. of, of constituents here. And so for the for the, the pills, you know, yeah, that is going to happen faster. Um with St. John's wort, uh, we would say that the kind of like vital force response effects are going to be more or less immediate. Um, the, the, the placebo element effects are going to be pretty much immediate. Uh, and then as for like the chemical changes that the plant's going to induce, whether that's just reducing some inflammation in the GI tract, uh, reducing some degree of leaky gut there, uh, helping out with serotonin secretion in the digestive system, and then later, a bit later, yeah in the in the nervous system um that's going to take a little while so um especially the first couple of times that a person works with this herb we want to emphasize you're going to take this today you're going to take it a few times you're going to take it tomorrow you're going to take it a few times by the third day that's when we should be looking for a, a shift a perceptible shift in, in what you're experiencing it's going to occur uh it's going to accumulate over that time right so it might be easy to miss it if you don't have something to compare it to. Mm. Um, and so it's always good, really anytime you're introducing an herb, but especially for this kind of thing, to take some time and, and write down and make some notes about how you feel, where you're starting from, 
and even like what your intervention is going to be. I'm going to take St. John's wort tincture. I'm going to take two droppers full. I'm going to do that three times a day. I'm going to do that for the next month, right? And then after a week, compare, check in, you know, scan your body, see what's going on with yeah. you. Uh, think about your your energy level, your mood, your motivation, your your interactions with other people in your house. And motility, mm-hmm. too, yeah. both in your emotions and also in your guts, mm-hmm. you know, are things, are things moving? Right. So I'm just trying to add this um, kind of nuance here, which, again, we can apply the same kind of thought to, to almost any kind of herb that we start taking. But I find that very often um, with popularized herbs like St. John's wort, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, take St. John's wort. No further information. Like, mm-hmm. what kind of product should I look for? What kind of dose size do I want? And mm-hmm. dosing can be tricky because, you know, it's it's variable by the person and their constitution and their body size and their age and lots of other factors. Right? <laughs> uh, but still, um, having some way to anchor yourself and to, to get a sense of whether the thing you're doing is really doing the job uh, is super important. And so keeping a journal or some notes or things like that is a a critical way to accomplish this. I also just want to make a plug here for intentionally working with St. John's Wort as tea. If you are wanting to work with St. John's Wort as part of a, a depression management, partially because, um, you know, there is something comforting about a nice warm cup of tea, well, a little less in the summer, but that's okay. St. John's Wort makes a great sun tea. You can ice it. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but to intentionally make this something very lovely, very delightful, which might be a cup of St. John's Wort tea and an Oreo, you know, or it might be that you have a some kind of treat that appeals to you and it doesn't have to be some froofy like gourmet whatever if it's an oreo fine it's an oreo preferably gluten-free but you know like whatever um the the thing here is to let there be three times a day that you sit down with a cup of tea or if it's iced also fine and some thing that is pleasing a nice book you want to read or this about a a treat because that is reinforcing to you that you believe that you're worth it. Even if you, even if you don't, even if you're only doing this because some girl on a, on a podcast said you should drink tea and eat a cookie, that it it is self-care. It is still that moment of saying, I'm worth taking care of. And over time, building in that habit is also part of the message. Like that message that you're giving yourself, that's that's part of the work. Um, and you are worth taking care of. And also, you're worth a cookie. So whatever that cookie is for you, I'm very food motivated, but not everybody is. So whatever whatever is the cookie for you, the treat, to, to consider it that way. And St. John's wort does have bitterness to it. But in my experience, people find it a fairly familiar bitter. It's very similar in flavor to a cup of black tea, but it doesn't have the strong tannin flavor that goes along with it. Um, and if you want a little honey in there, go ahead, put a little honey in. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, if you want a little lemon, go ahead. Um, 
if you want to ice it and put in a little honey, little lemon, okay, totally fine. But it's like a flavor that's not really pushing most people's boundaries in terms of bitterness. It's really a, a, a fairly tolerable bitter, um, especially if you have some kind of little treat with it. it. Blueberries, you know, that would be sufficient. And so it can be really, really nice. You can't say that about every herb. And even if we're thinking specifically about depression and nervine herbs, actually a lot of those are bitter. Um, you know, you couldn't just sit down and have a whole cup of blue vervain and enjoy it. I, I mean, once in a while you find a person who can, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it's quite bitter. It's not necessarily very fun to sit down and just enjoy that. But, but you can do that with St. John's wort. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, if you're busy or whatever, sure, go ahead, take the tincture. Maybe that's easier to do at work or whatever, but anytime I find any time that you can incorporate that aspect of caring for yourself um, into the way that you get herbs into you, I think that is a very helpful thing. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's going to be it for us today, folks. So thanks for listening. Um, we're going to be back next time with some more Holistic Herbalism podcast for you. Until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, drink some tea. Make some sun tea. Make some sun tea. Yeah, tis the season. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.